The Thunderman's time with the centaurs has come to a close. While Fitzroy recovers from his recent cursing, a new and present danger threatens them. While Fitzroy buys some time, Argo takes a swing and the fear bulk changes. Maybe it could be said that everyone changes, but only time will tell. We listen to episode 16 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone and welcome back to Talkin' Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hi guys! Lauren, what'd you think of this episode? I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I really liked it and it was just, it was so intense. This was simultaneously maybe one of my favorite episodes of the podcast, while also being one of my least favorite episodes of the podcast. Both at the same time? You know what? I guess I'll clarify. This is one of my favorite episodes with some of my most hated Travis DMing, hands down. Oh, no. You didn't like how he handled it? Oh, we'll get into it. Oh. We'll get into it. Oh, God. So we start the episode off. Fitzroy is examining the new brand on his right collarbone. Althea is attempting to explain the brand to Fitzroy, but he's more distracted by the presence of the mark than anything else. She explains it is an emergency ward, which is kind of like a catch-all curse pause button. So he isn't cured as much as he's more on hold. I've not run into that before. Have you seen anything like that? Do you think that's Travis's invention? Yeah, a story invention. I mean, there's also like not necessarily like a full on death curse either. I think it's homebrew narrative stuff more than anything. I was into it. I liked it. No, yeah, it's totally good. They have about six hours before the ward wears out and the curse takes hold again. He'll be weak for that time, then he'll need a full rest for sure. However, if they can't get the curse broken in the next six hours, he'll most likely die to its effects. Oh my god! Fitzroy thanks Althea and Argo for saving his life, but wonders if there wasn't some sort of henna application for his ward, as he's worked tirelessly to sculpt this bod, <laughs> and it is now ruined for beach season. <laughs> oh my god god <laughs> do you think it would also ruin his cloak game because you can like it's high up on his collarbone you could well, it depends see on it. what kind of cloak because you probably couldn't see it depending on the cloak that's true he collects himself thanks him again and then asks where calhane is so we can kill him argo lets fitzroy know that fear bull gets set out on calhane's trail althea asks about them speaking to the spirit of the scarlet woods and asks if they just kind of communed with nature or read signs but they clarify they actually spoke with the spirit which catches althea way off guard mm-hmm Spirits do not typically speak to mortals, so she clarifies if they use scrying bones, but Argo just says he's a really good listener. Fitzroy rushes this conversation along as he has ass to kick, but Althea can't let go of this thought. Fitzroy asks if perhaps they were bamboozled, and that wasn't the spirit, but Althea says no. It's just that speaking to the spirits is old magic, and they never talk to regular people. That's so wild. I mean, it makes sense. Well, it comes up a few times, which is like, obviously, this is just Travis laying the seeds of like, you guys are more important than you think you are. Yeah. And we don't have a warlock, so there's no way to have any, like, packed boons or anything like that. Suddenly, on the path down from Malwin's tent, angry voices can be heard. Arturus, Deanna, and Malwin are walking the Fearbulg and Rhodes tied up down the pathway at Spearpoint. Yikes. Which was, this was my first, like, really? This is what we're doing? Why? Why was this? Because this is a thing I never love in D&D, which is when you take away player autonomy. Okay. And... There is no player autonomy in saying, last episode you flipped a tent, this episode you're in chains being carried at spear point to your party. Like, Fearbulk didn't get to decide if he wanted to, like, try to escape and warn them. He didn't get to make a decision or a choice. Travis just locked him up. Exactly. I mean, I see your point. There have been times where I've just been knocked unconscious and woken up in a strange place before. 
but that's different. You, Your character never had the choice to have autonomy at that point. But Fearbulgs was just taken from him. That's a good point. Yeah, he was. I don't love it. Let people have roles against things. Even if there's not going to be roles, let them at least experience the situation. Let them eat cake? I mean, that's what's happening. <laughs> Suddenly, more centaurs appear to apprehend Fitzroy and Argo, Calhane in tow. Argo rolls another nat 20 perception, admitting he may need to start providing proof if they're going to happen this often, and sees that Calhane isn't carrying themselves meekly anymore, and now has a swagger, and has, as gone as the performance they put on in the tent, which was my next, like, are you joking? Mm. Are you joking? Because he rolled, yeah, you mm. of the perception check, right? He, or the no, intimidation, he a, a twenty-three intimidation yeah. check on him last time to be like, is this guy faking anything? And Travis was like, no. And here, we, and I even last week was like, oh well, you know, it's definitely not Calhane because like he would have said something. Mm-hmm. And here we are, and it's like, oh yeah, Calhane was one million percent lying out of twenty-three. Intimidation check. Again, I've said this before on this podcast. Don't have people roll if you're not going to make their roles matter. Yeah. Yeah. You you make a good point. It's true. (sighs) I was like heated. He also notices that on his hand is a black glove with black on black embroidery of runes. Fitzroy recognizes the situation they are in, puts his hands up, and calls on his CCO to use that second C and communicate. Argo thanks everyone for coming to this meeting he has called (laughs) to clear the air. I loved that so much. I love it. Just like being surrounded by people. It's like, well, thank you all for joining me here today. Thank you so much. <laughs> he asks why they're being aggressive and why they have captured the Fearbulg, as well revealing they have important information to share. Malwin is not hearing any of it, completely enraged, saying they have conspired to steal the apple for themselves and that they found it in their pack. A centaur is dead, one is missing, and then shows up the Fearbulg in Rhodes with violence in their eyes, Ooh. which is pretty condemning. Yeah. I would say so. Fitzroy excitedly says that it looks like Fearbulg flipped the tent, which he confirms, which again excites Fitzroy and Argo. And I was like, <laughs> not the time, boys, not the time. Not the time, not the time. Fearbulg says it may have been hasty, but Fitzroy says it was actually quite tasty. <laughs> Fitzroy interrupts to say that Calhane cursed him and that he has clearly been the architect of this whole situation. Um, which, I mean, this this isn't an actual gripe. I would have had him roll persuasion or something along those lines, but I respect the choice to be like, I'm not going to honor a roll. So I'm not going to have you roll it, you know? Mm-hmm, absolutely. I This is different than what I do, because I think if you were to ask my players, I do stuff like this sometimes, too, where I'm like, you can't convince them otherwise. But there's always like a secret condition in my brain where it's like, you can't try to convince them until you say the right thing. And my players always give up before they say the right thing. We do? You guys do. All, like, anytime you guys have ever been like, I'm going to try to convince this person not to fight me. And after like, you guys try to convince him for like 30 seconds and it's not going anywhere you guys always are like screw it we're fighting and i think you guys are probably like "Ugh, there was gonna be no way of convincing them and in my head i'm like you guys just haven't done a good job yet oh my god this changes everything for me i mean for any of my players listening obviously this was a bit ago but we just had a fight against like this super powerful monster in our campaign Mm -hmm. and the party kept coming up with ideas to try to get them to not fight and i think they all kind of got to the point of like oh there's no way that we're gonna stop this fight but in my head i literally had written down exactly what you guys would have needed to say to convince him and just no one was saying it oh my god oh my god i mean that makes sense you would have like the contingency plan but i didn't know i just had to dig a little deeper i mean because it's it's kind of a like and i think this is a good example of it in a way but i'm not sure this is what travis was doing i don't think there was a way of avoiding this fight Mm-mm, doesn't sound like i it. think travis is kind of like they they have a mentality already you're gonna need to like there's no way that you can convince them otherwise 
and mine are kind of similar. It's like you have you can try to convince them, but you have to realize they have their established biases, their established prejudices, and you are an invader in their place. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna have to say the exact right thing to get them to even start considering you. Yeah, the odds are like so against you. Uh, Malwan is still not having any of it, refusing to hear logic and saying that it couldn't have been Calhane as he was the one that warned them of the plan, which I was like, okay, that's pretty dumb. Not of Travis, but of of Malwan. <laughs> yeah, for centaurs who have been so distrustful of like literally everybody to just be like, well, it couldn't have been Calhane because he's the whistleblower. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. Malwin says that they must have faked the curse to distract everyone so that Rose and Fearbolt could kill the Sentinels and steal the apple. Argo asks how the Sentinel was killed, and they reveal they were damaged from the inside and their skin was crackled. Fearbolt says he didn't kill them and asks how the wards were passed by, and Malwin says they must have used powerful magic. It seems the boys are not talking their way out of this. It doesn't seem so. Which, unrelated, this is where my contingency would have come in of like, hmm, you've brought in very sound logic. Go ahead and roll. But he's not listening to logic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at that point, let the dice decide. But yeah, I respect I respect it not happening, though. Yeah, this isn't one of my many anger points this episode. <laughs> oh, my God. We've only scratched the surface. Fearbolg asks if they truly believe mere students were able to subvert their wards, which draws Malwin to theorize they must be working with someone more powerful and draw a look at Arturus. Oh, God. Oh, no. They begin to get hostile towards each other, then take a step in either direction, now wary of one another. Fitzroy notices how distracted this has made everyone, and he begins to quietly hum the Thunderman LLC theme song to signal the boys. I loved that so much. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as he's like, I hum the LLC theme song, Travis is like, oh, what does that sound like? So Griffin does it. And I loved it. Because he had already sung the theme song the first time he comes up with a name. He did. But then he immediately was like, oh, we're going to have to get a bard. That wasn't good. I mean, I think it was (laughs) A-OK. Oh, I think it was too. But for Fitzroy's... I guess standards of music. Uh, As soon as he knows he has their attention, he casts Thunder Wave, his signature move. Heck yes. The warning allows Fearbolg and Argo to pass their save, and Calhane is the only other person to pass, as the centaurs Althea and Rhodes are knocked back. I liked that. I liked that the dice played it out that way, because that's just so perfect. Argo says he is going to run over to Calhane and take out Slapsidian to cut the straps off his bag and retrieve the apple, and Travis clarifies that he only has one action on a surprise round, so you can either move or attack from a distance, but not both. And I was like, excuse me, what? I, yeah, I was shook by that too. I was like, it, I don't think that's how that You're, works. It's, it's insane how wrong he is. Yeah. It's insane how wrong he is. It's a surprise round of combat. You don't. Yeah. In a surprise round, it's a full round of combat. They could do actions, bonus actions, movement. At a bare minimum, the fact that he said you can either move or attack, like movement isn't even an action. It isn't. Movement is free. In a... I was. I was screaming, like, excuse me, what are you saying right now, Travis? I mean, I wasn't as big mad as you were, but I was definitely, like, very confused and like, I don't think that's how this works. I can understand being mad. Well, I was big mad just because, okay, again, as a DM, I was just like, okay, you're making the wrong call here. Mm. Uh, And it's just out of not understanding the rules. Because he made it very clear. This isn't like some, I'm subverting your will. It's, these are the rules. And I was like, they're not. They're super not. Uh, I was just upset because I feel like it would have been such an amazing character moment. I mean, I feel like it led, fortunately, because, you know, storytelling is storytelling, Mm -hmm. led to amazing results regardless. But I think Argo would have been the one to have some really powerful moments this episode, whereas instead they went to Fitzroy Mm -hmm. because of this ruling specifically. Yeah, I think Argo has a very big 
missed opportunity here. And I feel like it's consistently missed opportunities. Like I feel like he had the most clear plan, the best idea. And obviously I think where it went was amazing. Again, still one of my favorite episodes. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it would have taken a very different route if they had just made the right calling on surprise rounds. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think this would have been Argo's episode to shine. But I'm honestly glad simultaneously that it was kind of Fitzroy's episode to shine. Yeah, it was nice to have that parallel of Fitzroy got cursed and now Fitzroy kind of gets his revenge. But it would have been super cool for Argo. And now I'm like sad at the what could have been. Yeah. That, that's, I guess, where more of my frustration came from. Mm. Instead, Argo slings a ball bearing at Calhane, connecting and distracting him. Fearbulk takes his surprise round to transform into a Bloodhawk. And this one is less mad and more like, come on, guys. Uh, he can't transform into a Bloodhawk. He can't? Because you can't wild shape into a creature with a fly speed until your eighth level. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, I didn't know that. Again, I, this is another one that I'll more so chalk up to, God dang it, boys, learn your rules, but it's cool, so I'll let it slide type of thing. Like, like I've said a few times on this episode, not that they need my permission, but like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's me and my brain being like, all right, rule of cool, I guess. Rule of cool, I guess. I'm going to start saying that to you. But it is more like, read your rules. Like, you can't wild chip into a creature with a fly speed until 8th level. You shouldn't have been able to transform into a Bloodhawk. But dang it, it wasn't metal as all hell. Oh, it was super cool. I was here for it. And the boys say that. They're like, Bloodhawks sound metal as hell. <laughs> and they are. And he transforms, and the bonds slip from his birdie feet as he flies midair. Everyone is understandably upset. Uh, Calhane is dazed, and they roll initiative. God, I was stressed. This, I mean, I've been stressed ever since Fitzroy was cursed, but this is when I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. The Fearbulk's goal as a Bloodhawk is to find worms, catch cool updrafts, and wrench the bag away from Calhane. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Having been dazed by Argo's attack, it doesn't take much, and the Fearbulk steals the bag away. Argo would like to retroactively had used cunning action, but Travis says no, as he can only use one action on a surprise round. And I was like, don't bring it up again. I was already mad. Don't make me mad again. <laughs> don't take me back to that dark place. <laughs> don't take me back to that place. <laughs> Instead, he would like to attempt to cut Calhane's gloved hand off, which I was like, dang. I know. Uh, which, uh, shout out. I know she doesn't listen to our podcast, but shout out to our player, Noel, who does the same thing every time. Like, literally anytime I have an enemy, she's like, well, I'd like to sever their hand. I'd like to cut his eyeball out. Like, that's all she does with her moves. It's true. It's so specific. <laughs> where it's she's so like, lit. I'm going for this part of them. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Which my home, it's not, it's like a sub- official rule and i definitely accept it as my homebrew but it is like a recommended thing in the dm's guide if someone is going to call a shot like they're not just i'm hitting but i'm going to hit this specific piece Mm -hmm. you up the ac because it's harder to hit a specific part of a body yes which i do with her but he's not doing with clint but i think what he does is still smart where he's like all right you're going to connect but you're going to need to make a strength check to see if you can slice through effectively yeah which is fair and they bring up what is it like a baby the baby can swing a sword and do some damage but they're not strong enough to like cut somebody's hand off i kind of i mean we'll get into this in a second because i kind of disagree oh no what he almost uses slap city but travis implores him to use something larger than a dagger he clarifies to Clint that rapiers do have cutting edges because Clint was like, well, why would I use a rapier? And it's like, real rapiers that aren't for fencing can slash. They exist. They can do some crazy damage. Yeah, yeah. they totally have. They're sharp on both sides. If yeah. you look at a real rapier. They're insane. Uh, so he switches to Florence. He connects, but has to make a strength check to cleave off his hand. Argo tries to make an argument that it would be dex or could be dex, but it is shot down. And this is where I was like a little like, I kind of agree. Like, and this is again, more of a me as a DM thing versus Travis as a DM thing. I would have heard him out. Because one of the rules at my table is if I call for a check and you can make a successful argument for why it should be a different one, 
I'll let you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he made sense. Like, he's like, well, if I swing it fast enough, if it's sharp enough, it's going to cut, which is true. I mean, he does he does make a compelling argument. I would have allowed him to roll decks based off of that, but... But I agree. Like, so the thing I was going to say is, like, you know, honestly, you're right. Like, a baby holding a very sharp sword couldn't necessarily cleave something off, but also they kind of could if it was sharp enough. I don't know if you've ever handled a really sharp knife, but those things can, like, literally just slice through anything like butter. It's true. They they can like sometimes i'll be like just cleaning a knife and i'll like oh look i sliced my hand open oh look at that i am bleeding everywhere and if you have gravity on your side that would do most of the heavy lifting for you anyway which is why i think speed would have factored in but again i respect the ruling not changing but i was like i I would i would have let it happen you're also like a good dm i think he's a good dm too as much as i'm complaining this episode i don't they're they're gripes they're not me saying travis is bad yeah but i think i'm more of a easygoing dm in terms of what people can ask for and what people can do i don't know if i would call you easygoing because you are very much like these are the rules this is what's happening you are open to suggestion that's what i mean that's why i specifically said with what i let people do i don't think i'm an easygoing dm i think i'm justifiably set a grim tone and make sure that you guys know that you guys are gonna get wrecked yes but i'm never gonna stop you guys from doing something cool yeah that's true you never do. He rushes towards Calhane, feigns as if swinging at his head, before swinging the sword in a figure eight motion downward and slicing through his wrist before dancing back nimbly with a disengage. Heck yes. Which, this is not a gripe in any sense, but Clint needs to really read into his abilities more because he doesn't need to use a disengage. He could just leave. Yeah. Because with Swashbuckler, if you hit someone, they you can leave and they can't take opportunity attacks on you until your next round. That's so wild. That's so, so wild. Cool, it's crazy. it's crazy. Like he could have instead potentially done like a any one of his other cunning actions as opposed to disengage because he didn't need to take it. But again, there's a lot of abilities and I'm honestly impressed with how much Clint has remembered that I'm not going to chide him for not remembering this one thing. That's true. And I don't know what other bonus action he would have taken anyway. I would say maybe because you can dodge with cunning action, right? You can. Yeah, that's one of them. So he could have taken the dodge action to give anyone a disadvantage against him. It's true. But that's not you know there. Calhane's hand is dangling by mere muscle fibers from his wrist. And I was like, Bleh. gross. That's so gross. As the hand is nearly severed, Fitzroy starts feeling a little better. Rhodes does a sick move to stand from prone while simultaneously moving her bound wrists in front of her and positions themselves between Fitzroy and the incoming centaurs. That's a pretty cool move. Yeah, it was pretty lit. Yeah. Calhane lets out a fireball and I was like, damn. Right? Right? <laughs> and all of the boys save, so they only take 17 points of damage. Oh, God. Fireball doesn't mess. Which is especially rough on Fitzroy, who is not up at full, at the even at the beginning of this encounter. He super wasn't. God, Fireball. It's super cool when you're hitting it against an enemy. When it's used against you, you understand why it's yeah. so powerful. Hello everyone, it's me, PJ, your 2021 twin, here as always to thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. It's the first episode of the year! My apologies for the delay in posting this week, lots has been going on in the world, the country, and in our personal lives, and this unfortunately fell on the back burner for a moment. Don't worry though, at least some of those things are resolved and we should be back on schedule starting next week. Make sure you know if we ever do get delayed again by keeping up with us on social media. 
Follow us on Facebook by searching for at Talkin' Taz. There you can also find the official Talkin' Taz group where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Talkin' Taz. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. No huge notes from this episode, however, I did want to clarify something. In this episode, I give Travis a lot of flack for decisions he makes as a DM. But while I try to make it clear in the episode, I do want to clarify here too, I am by no means saying he's a bad DM. At the end of the day, everyone is allowed to run their tables however they want, and the grace of a DM is that even when you're wrong, you're technically right because it's your world and your rules. Regardless of that, I always feel it an opportunity to take these moments and make them teachable moments where I can impart some of my DM advice to you, our listeners. But that's all it is, is advice. I am by no means the end-all authority on D&D, and neither is anyone else. Not even Mr. Sage Advice himself, Jeremy Crawford. At the end of the day, your goal should be to have fun, tell a good story, and roll some dice. The rules are just there to make it a game, the rest is on you. Last week, we left you with a question on what made 2020 special for you, and we loved hearing your responses, especially the one about me, but I may be biased on that. This week, I want to ask you about homebrew. What's the craziest homebrew mechanic you've implemented in a game, or have had implemented in when you played? Does your DM allow you to cast spells at any level if you're all high enough on Arcana? Do you let your players forego rests and throw out the exhaustion system altogether? Or is it something even crazier than that? We'd love to hear about it. Now, back to the podcast. Up next is Fitzroy Maplecourt, Knight of Absentia for the Realm of Goodcastle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh, needs to be clarified because at first Travis does call him Griffin. He's like, Griffin, you're next. And he's like, um, I would appreciate if you called me my name if it's my turn. <laughs> and then he goes for the entire yeah. thing. <laughs> Uh, the tent behind him is aflame, giving him a badass Sephiroth effect as he walks toward Calhain. He grabs a hold of Calhain's wrist while raging, hoping Calhain recognizes the source of his power. Ugh. With his wild rage surge, he gets the perfect, perfect roll because these dice again tell stories. They do. And he is able to see into Calhain's mind. Mm-hmm. The plan is shown to Fitzroy. Calhain was tasked with stealing the apple to start a war, then the second apple, then he chose to curse Fitzroy in order to frame the Thunderman, and the glove he was wearing was ruined for the curse. Which is why Argo's removal of it made him feel better. However, the hand and glove need to be destroyed for the curse to fully lift. The hand and the glove? Yep. Fitzroy attempts to draw the fear of Calhain, musters all the chaos energy he can into his visage, and says, You have failed me, Calhain, before ripping his hand off. Oh my god! Which they do a strength save for this, which was, again, these dice tell stories. Calhain has disadvantage, which is unfortunate as he rolled a nat 20. Mm-hmm. And Fitzroy has advantage, which is fortunate because he rolled in at one. Yes, they were ready to have it go the other way, these yeah. dice. But oh. a look of pure terror passes over Calhane's face as Fitzroy rips his hand from his body. The gross. Uh, we get a super funny thing where Fitzroy's like, ha ha, you've been pranked, bro. And I was like, yep, that's, I guess, a solid prank. <laughs> that's one of the classic pranks. Uh, one of the classic blunders. <laughs> He's like, that's what he gets for coming out of my podcast and cursing me. Oh and then Fitzroy's like, I'm going to eat the hand, but not actually. But not actually. Do you remember when you were in high school and people were just like ripping each other's ripping, hands off? Uh, yeah. And I, I literally, God, I would always walk up and be like, you've been pranked, bro. <laughs> and everyone would laugh and have such a great time. Uh, uh. We, all, we, we all lived happy lives. <laughs> back then not not now everyone stops for a moment 
There stands a raging barbarian standing over a once powerful wizard, silhouetted by flame, holding his wrenched hand. Fitzroy sees the same fear of power in the eyes of the centaurs that he saw in Sylvia Knight's eyes on that fateful day. Mm. Everyone steps back and lowers their weapons in fear. Fitzroy warns them he could retrieve a matching hoof as he flails Calhane's severed hand at them, blood splattering onto him. Ugh. Oh, it's wild. It's so wild. Calhane weeping at his feet, holding his stumped wrist. And the centaurs step back once more. Uh. Fitzroy kneels down and implores Calhane to confess as he lifts him by the scruff of his neck. Argo would like to help, but the fear hawk has let go of the problems of the terrestrial world. Uh, I love I love how much he be- went into this hawk persona. He did, but he did the same thing when he polymorphed into a T-Rex. Oh, yeah, back in balance. When he I was, was like, Dupree. Yeah, I love it. Justin is always in it 100%. However, Fitzroy holds up his falconry glove and the fear bulb perches on it, dropping the flaming bag at his feet. Argo forms into a pose as he creates water to extinguish the flame, billowing smoke now surrounding them from the extinguished bag in the most badass visual of all time. Yes! Oh, this my is where God. I was like, man, as much as I've had uh, like problems with some of the choices in this episode, this is where I was like, this is my favorite episode. It was this so is cool. Freaking awesome. Yes, it was so, so cool when Griffin was like, I want the fear bulk to land on my new hawk glove. And like, ugh. And the music. The music. Was so good. Ugh, it was so the good. perfect underscore. Yes. And I really liked that Clint was able to use his water spell again. Yeah. Oh, it was so ugh. good. So good. Quietly, Calhane admits, implored to do it louder by Fitzroy, and he admits he stole the apple, framed the Thunderman, also stole the first apple, and cursed Fitzroy. That's a big rap sheet. Which I was like, this also brought me back to my anger a little bit because he like does that on a 15 intimidation. And I was like, weird that a 23 intimidation didn't do anything. <laughs> but 10 less gets you all of this. All of it. Ugh. Oh, God. <laughs> now you've made me mad. <laughs> Good. No. Let the hate flow through you. God, oh no. Fitzroy looks at the centaurs triumphantly, says he told them so, apologizes for the Thunderwave, but eh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Eh, you know. As he walks towards Althea, the centaurs make sure to keep distance from him. He asks Althea what to do with Calhane's hand, and Althea, also scared of Fitzroy at the moment, tells him to destroy it. He checks the hand into the burning tent, and a weight is lifted from Fitzroy's chest as a gloved hand burns into green flame. I mean, I'm really glad that the, the curse is gone. I'm still shook that the hand also had to be destroyed. It's not just the super magical It's glove. an interesting choice, but because, I mean, there's nothing, again, that's that's nothing in D&D, but I think it's just homebrew curse magic, because all of this has been homebrew curse magic. Right, of course. Now they need only decide what to do with the apples. Fitzroy apologizes for the distress they have caused. He says they were tasked with bringing the two herds together. And that's all they've been trying to do since they arrived. In light of everything that has occurred, he'd like to prioritize getting Malwin and Arturus into a room together to talk it out. I do. I had one question that I put in my notes. Where are Mimi and Moon? I had the same note. Did you really? In a little, like, I literally have that, like, a little down when I li- when everyone goes into the tent. I was like, where on earth are Mimi and Moon? <laughs> yes, because Rhodes, like... I was like, as soon as, like, this, we've had so much going on. And I'm like, where are Mimi and Moon? <laughs> yes! Rhodes like looked at them specifically in the last episode and was like, you have to get Malwin and Arturus in a tent together. I'm like, okay, so they're going to be together in this meeting, but we just like haven't seen them. Yeah, I was like, did we forget about Mimi and Moon? One hundred percent we oh, did. God, I'm so glad you brought that up too. <laughs> I'm glad you had it in your notes. Oh my god. But before Fitzroy can continue forward, Althea heals them all with a masculine word. All necessary parties move into a tent to discuss things. 
Calhane also there, except for Mimi and Moon? Question mark? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, that's where I had it too in my notes. Uh, Calhane also there, bound and shackled, but his stump has been passionately healed by Althea. It's very nice of her. The boys tell them everything they know, obviously excluding the fact that they're trying to steal one of the apples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The centaurs are equally as blown away by the revelation that they spoke directly to the spirit of the woods. Argos says that the ultimate sacrifice, one that the spirit would accept, is for one of them to sacrifice leadership. And I was like, damn, damn, that's so astute. It is. I was like, I didn't even think of that. Like, I was I was like, I wonder what they're going to do instead. And then Argo was like, I think one of you needs to sacrifice leadership. And I was like, damn, Argo. Okay. And then he was also like, as one tribe, you could cut the apple, read the seeds, and then burn the two halves. I was like, dang, Argo, you really are the CCO. Damn. Yeah, he's like earned that title. Hell yeah. Arturus and Malwin both admit to still being in love, but feeling as though their respective clans are stronger under their direct leadership, and they can't sacrifice that for love. Would you sacrifice leadership for love? Uh, I don't know. I would do anything for love, but I wouldn't do that. Oh, that's that's your one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fitzroy asks where the second apple is, and Calhane admits that he hid it in the encampments for the centaurs of the valley, where he was planning to discover it and cause war. Fitzroy says that now there are two apples, and they can both be happy, but the division isn't good for them, so he takes a bite of one of the apples. And I was like, oh boy. I know, I was like, what the heck? I mean, yeah. he has been on another level this entire episode. Yeah. But I was like, damn, Fitzroy. Yeah. <laughs> Malwin and Arturus are shocked by this action. Even more shocked when Fitzroy then spits the bite out and then drops the apple as disrespectfully as possible. Saying it wasn't even good. <laughs> he says there's only one apple again and they can either go to war and die or they can finally talk to exotic like adults and maybe even govern their herds together. He also lets them know that the apple wasn't even that good in case they were wondering, which garners a chuckle from Rhodes. <laughs> not Mimi and Moon because they're not there. Not Mimi and Moon. Where are they? Where did they go? <laughs> Malwin and Arturus finally open up and begin to talk and negotiate for a way to both stay in power but work together. It is not a quick conversation and it goes long into the night. So long, in fact, that Fitzroy goes to sleep. A long, dreamless sleep, not completely devoid of anything, though, as Fitzroy does get glimpses of all white eyes blinking at him. That is so, that's so disturbing. <laughs> to, like, know that every time you fall asleep, chaos is, like, right there. Yeah. When Fitzroy awakes, he still feels weak and hazy. Fitzroy looks up at Argo and they acknowledge that they need to stop meeting like this. Oh. And Fitzroy does let Argo know that he heard what he told him when he was being affected by the curse and that they have a lot to talk about. I was like, you heard everything? I know. However, he just has one question. Did Argo pick up the pieces of the bitten apple? He says, of course he did. While everyone was talking, he took it with his sleight of hand and even placed the bitten piece back on. Fitzroy takes it and casts Mending, and I was like blown away. I had I didn't even see this coming. I didn't either. I was, I mean, these boys are like pretty genius when it comes to stuff, and they'll do things in combat or in role play that I just never would have thought of. But this, I was like, oh my God, that's the best. That's the best. Yeah, and it gives them a fixed whole apple. Fitzroy goes to make a quip before rending in pain from his lingering damage as he slips the apple into his bag. Then we did it. We have an apple. I was like, so Althea knows about this? She doesn't. <gasps> she doesn't. She's in there. She's 100 I think they forgot she's in there, though. I think even Travis forgot she was in there. Yeah, because I think she's he like... said it, and then they started talking, and it was like, you could literally, if this was like a visual, she poofs away as soon as he... <laughs> forgets about her well it sounds like it's been like a really long night so i bet everyone's yeah. just like really tired no, yeah no for sure i was just like you guys she's right there she's literally in front of you uh but they head out and malwin and arturus are outside the tent and they admit that they've made progress fearbolg asks if there's still hope for their love and they happily admit there is which excites the fearbolg as now he gets extra credit <laughs> extra do you think that was on the syllabus 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Tomas was like, Tomas is a is a real like believer in true love. So when he gave them the mission, <laughs> he was like extra credit if you can get someone to fall in love. Yeah. Before they leave and before Calhain faces his punishment, they are allowed to meet with him one last time before they enter the tent. But after they are out of earshot, Argo tries to convince Calhain they are planning on killing him. <laughs> this confuses the Fearbulg, however, who is upset that this is only now being discussed and wasn't agreed upon ahead of time. <laughs> I love the way he role-plays the Fearbulg. Oh my so god, good. Justin McElroy is chef's kiss. They have to stop and let Fearbulg know they're lying, and he recognizes it as subterfuge. <laughs> Fearbulg throws open the flap of the tent, and uh, real quick, just the Fearbulg just takes over this scene, and it is art. Yes, yes. Because he, he literally throws open the flap of the tent, strides to Calhain, he holds the mirror up to him and says, tell them, tell them that you failed. Oh. Which is like, it's so perfect. And it like, it's like a gut Ugh. punch. Veronimus gets on the mirror mm-hmm. and asks Calhade if he has it. He lets him know he had it. And he curse fits for it as a distraction, which draws anger from Veronimus. It does. Like, he's like, you did what? And I was like, oh, so this wasn't part of the plan. It, it was And Veronimus is upset about this? Oh, um, the machinations are ever so curious. Oh, yeah. No, I was super intrigued by this. He admits he was discovered. They broke the curse, retrieved both apples, and learned everything, which made me remember just how much they, like, won this episode. Yes. Like, so much happened. Yeah. And- they, it all happened so fast, too. Like, it was yes. literally like, stuff is happening, stuff is happening. And then, like, everything gets resolved. With, like, a nice, nice little bow on top. Yeah. He asks if they are listening now, and the Fearbulk says they are. <sighs> he admits he is disappointed and that this will be moving the timeline up quite a bit. Calhane begins to seize as black ooze secretes from him, and he <clears throat> seems as though he is almost drowning in it. <clears throat> as the mirror drops, Feronimus says he will see them all back at school soon. Oh my the God. mirror clicks off and the fear bull fears they may have detention. But they got extra credit. <laughs> Again, him saying we might have detention. And I've, I feel like I've said this before on this podcast is peak like Hermione being like, oh, worse, expelled, expelled energy. <laughs> it really is. He has become, for someone who never went to school, he's become very much a Hermione Granger. Well, you know what? And I think it comes from the fact that he's made it very clear that he's like tribe above all kind of person. Mm-hmm. And he considers the school his tribe. So I think him doing poorly in school or being reprimanded by the school is something that he would be really against. That's true. I never thought of it that way. Especially considering he was reprimanded and subsequently exiled from his last one. We're fearful. Oh my god, my heart hurts. Uh, but, I mean, that's all we got for this episode. Again, it was a wild, wild, wild one. It was so wild. And as angry as it made you, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Again, one of my favorite episodes was some of my least favorite choices, mm-hmm. specifically, unfortunately, by Travis. Yeah. But again, I don't hold them against him. I don't think this is the episode where I'm like, Travis is a bad DM or anything. Mm -mm. But I've definitely had criticisms here and there. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me be like, I wouldn't have done that. Or I'm surprised he did that. But this is the first episode where I was like, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I don't like what you're doing. Yeah, this was where it was much more visceral. But I trust that he'll like re-listen to this episode and probably think on it and improve from here. Yeah, I think so. I definitely, I've trusted Travis from the beginning, even though there's been times where I'm like, I don't think that's right. I enjoy the story he's telling. I like what he's doing with this world. And I am 100% on board with him as DM with this ship. Yeah. And I think it's going to come with time. Again, I think 
him not giving them information on the 23 intimidation mm. and him not letting the fear bowl do anything about being captured mm-hmm. were my two big like homeboy you're not writing a novel you're playing D moments which again i've gone into at length on this podcast yeah dms are not writing novels they're telling a story Mm-hmm. But overall, amazing episode, solid episode. Yes. Had some of my favorite moments and some of my least favorite moments. So I think it balances out to just a plain good episode. <laughs> <laughs> it all balances itself out. It all balances itself out. Oh my God. <laughs> oh God. All right. Well, on that note, we hope you'll join us again next week. But until then, I've been PJ. I've been Lauren. And we'll see you next Thursday when we are once again talking Taz.